Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, game, ink weight, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. My name is Regina Barbara DeGraff. I'm an astrophysicist here at Western Washington University. And I'm here today without my co-host, sadly. He is home with baby. But I'm here today to talk about tiny houses and energy efficiency. And I'm here with environmental science professor Emron Sheikh and um, student at Western Washington University focused in energy studies, Kellen Lynch. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. This is a topic my students actually suggested we talk about, and they, they heard that Western Washington University is building a tiny house, and they're trying to make it net zero in, in energy efficiency. And I, I'm in physics. I don't know too much about any of that stuff <laughs> or environmental science, so I'm going to allow either of you to kind of like pitch it to me. What's, what's the big thing that's happening? We're building a net zero tiny house which means that we're going to be producing as much uh, electricity as we're using. Uh, it's a small house, it's about 200 square feet, and we're going to have uh, solar photovoltaics on the roof uh, to produce enough. And really, because we're going to make it so efficient, we're not going to need uh, a ton of solar. Um, so that's how that'll work. Okay. And as a professor in environmental science, like how are, how are you involved in this project? So I actually, before I came to Western, so I'm a new Western arrival. I like just how started, long have you I been just here? started at Western in September. Oh, wow. So You're very new. Very new. Yeah. But a project that I did in grad school was to build a net zero tiny house at Berkeley. Okay. That we did for a competition that a utility in Sacramento, California was organizing. Mm-hmm. Did and you a win? Bunch of groups. We got second. Ugh. Ugh, I terrible. hate the first place people. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you asked second. That's pretty good. That's stuff. pretty good. Yeah what, yeah. what was the what was the like award? Like, what do you get if you got first or second or third in this in this competition? Fame and fortune, right? Mostly on yeah. the cover of Science Magazine. <laughs> on the cover of Science Magazine, obviously. Not at all. Um, you know, a cash prize and okay. pride. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would love both of those things. Both of those would be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we, there's you know, a bunch of grad students got excited about, why don't we do this thing? None of us had ever built a tiny house before. It wasn't really something any of us were planning on doing. Mm-hmm. But we're like, that's a, that sounds fun. And we're all, you know, very, like, theoretical and, and, you know, just looking at spreadsheets all day and building models. And yeah. none of us were actually, like, building anything real. Had so, you ever beforehand, though? Like, were you, I had were never, you like, I had a never, hands-on kind of I scientist li- before? I like tinkering, yeah. but... In my kind of academic work, I have I had not been doing that. Okay. Um, so, did you propose this project then to Western, saying like, "Let's do that here" because I, I had done this in grad school. So, when I interviewed at Western, it's something that I that we talked about. I was like, I learned a lot from that experience. I think students would love it. And then Kellen and I were having a beer at Elizabeth Station. Kellen's like, "This is like I want to learn about microgrids, but I, what I really want to do is." design and build a tiny house and I was like I want to do that too (laughs) (laughs) so and and was Western like totally behind it I mean how how are they supporting this so they were as a kind of a teaching tool Mm -hmm. they were they've everybody that I've talked to has been very excited about it we're kind of still navigating exactly 
who's going to fund it, where it's going to go when it's completed, yeah. who's going to live in it. Those are still unanswered questions, but things that we are trying to figure out before we actually start building the thing. Okay, so I'm going to actually take us in the Wayback Machine, and I'm okay. going to like walk back, and we're going to come back to this idea of why are tiny houses so popular now? Like, mm -hmm. what's happening with the landscape of like mm -hmm. housing and envi the environment? But I, I kind of want to come back and just be like, both of you are involved in environmental science, and I know um, you are now adults. You were once children, and I want to know how you actually came to that conclusion mm -hmm. where I want to be in environmental science, or I, I picked this major. So I'm gonna like mm -hmm. Kellen to go first. Actually, like, tell me, sure. tell me your story. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Port Townsend, Washington, so it's a small town. Uh, has a lot of uh, giant houses there, actually. Uh, Victorian mansions that maybe two people live in. Thankfully, Port Townsend is um, home to a lot of very crafty people. So in the 70s, a lot of hippies moved there, learned how to do woodworking and boatworking, and this town kind of erupted with this creativity. So I grew up in a town and in a home like that. Um, but there's also a significant uh, affordable housing crisis there, as we see here as well. Um, I'm privileged in the way that I have a lot of connections there, so I don't have to worry about that. But it's, it's a place I want to return to, and when I return, I don't know where I'm going to live affordably. So I decided, yeah. um, I'm 28 now, I know Port Townsend is going to be my home, uh, and I just didn't know how I was going to actually make that happen and live there sustainably. And I've wanted to work on things that are going to impact the town for a while. And I started getting involved in uh, local community groups that were hosting energy speakers. Um, we, at our height of this movement, we hosted a German mayor from the town Vilpoldsried in Bavaria. Mm -hmm. It's this amazing tiny is. town at the <laughs> bottom of Germany. So this mayor came out, we flew him in from Germany. Vilpoldsried is this extremely like advanced tiny town. It's 2,500 people, 70% uh, solar uh, exposure across these homes, and they generate enough electricity through solar, wind, and biogas that they sell 3 million euros back to the grid every year. Mostly wow. to Austria because they're that close. Yeah. So they're and Austria is not doing this stuff as well. I mean, that's an honest question. I don't. I don't know. I don't think they are. Okay. Um, Germany as a country is really advanced in this way, but Vilpoldsried is internationally known. Like people from Fukushima were going there after after their disaster to study how can we do things differently. Mm -hmm. So they've been hosting these uh, different groups from all around the world. Port Townsend being one of them. Mm -hmm. So I got to host this guy, show him around Port Townsend opened my eyes to the opportunities and energy and how I can impact the town I want to live in yeah. and make money. Because those, uh, those make things Make money don't for often... the town. Yes, and yeah. myself. You're right. <laughs> because I have to be able to live there. Right. And it ain't cheap. Yeah. It's more expensive than Bellingham. Yeah. Um, and I want to do it sustainably. Um, so I saw the opportunity. I saw that Western had a new program. The Institute for Energy Studies mm -hmm. had just begun. And I applied and got in to study energy policy. And since then, I've been doing a number of things. But I only got here last year. And we've been working on this project since September. So you, you Emron, you, like, decided I'm going to start this, like, as soon as I get here. Like, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and then another professor in That's energy ambitious. studies was Charlie Barnhart. He was actually, yeah. I think, Kellen went to Charlie first about, like, well, talk about microgrids. Yeah. And right. then Charlie was like... 
having a beer with Kellen. Maybe we should, you want to come over and have a beer with us? At I hadn't station? even met Imran yet. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I invited my friend. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. And it was... We're going to have to edit him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Imran showed up, and yeah, we just got talking about it. And that was the first week of classes of this academic year. So, so your interest in science is really, really targeted. You're like, I want to live yeah. in a house and in a city that is... Um, very aware of environmental issues and is sustainable. Yeah, and is doing things that are advancing that practically. I've never considered myself into science before, but to be able to see um, this project take off and how it captures people's imagination is just showing me like, okay, people just need a, people like me just need a tangible way to get in. Right. And then all of a sudden you understand why you know, walls are efficient the way they are and what's the deal with south-facing windows and, like, why all that matters Mm -hmm. and how basic it is, but how we've also steered away from it for the last, you know, 100 years because we thought we were smarter than that. But it turns out we're not. But I I just have a question, and I want to come back to Imran's story. Um, What about land? I mean, like, to to have these tiny houses, you still need land. And and also... When we're talking about larger houses, we also are kind of thinking of a very, I want to say, Western, white mill America idea of mm-hmm. houses, right? Like, um, and like that you were saying, only two people live in that house, but mm-hmm. there are people that live with grandparents and children, totally. and like, and so like, it's. It, I, I think, for me, I, I've always wanted a house because I've always wanted something I didn't have, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that's a capitalism issue, but. Um, how do you kind of talk to people? You first have to buy the, the land, and then you also, what if you have a bigger house that's not, or a bigger family? You, you can't stay in these tiny houses. So, mm-hmm. like, what do you, how do you answer those questions that are societal issues and not necessarily a, an environmental issue? No, that's a great question because the actual issue is not the lack of housing. It's the yeah. lack of people sharing houses. Right. We don't have a lack of houses. Right. Um, and I, that has come to me more and more as I've gotten deeper into this project, and yeah. it's given me pause. If I could put the same amount of work in and change the culture around which we share houses, <laughs> yeah. I would do that. Right. But I don't think that is conceivable right now, mm-hmm. um, but it's how I'm living currently, and it's how I've lived in the past. Yeah. Um, it's just our conditioning that we think, you know, two or three people that don't uh, that aren't related to each other belong in a single family house. Right. It's absurd. It's just based upon this like really old, you know, way of thinking. Right. That doesn't have semblance in today's, um, you know, with today's needs. Uh, so I recognize that tiny houses are a very privileged thing to be producing in this yeah. way. And I want to make this project really accessible. And so in its sustainability focus, there is an extreme affordability focus because mm-hmm. we're not going to design a really elaborate, amazing house that no one could ever rebuild or buy. Right. Because that's not actually sustainable. Right. Um, so that's a big focus of this project. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of this question of like tiny houses versus just actually making bigger structures and more apartment complexes and more condos when you're kind of like consolidating people in one area so you have less uh, transportation of goods Mm -hmm. and you have everybody in the same area so that kind of energy-wise they're all kind of using that energy together. And so, like, do you hear, I guess, opposition saying, well, why don't you just build bigger places and a more dense population in cities? 
I haven't heard that, and I think that is a, a valid point to make. I've heard that in housing issues at the city council meetings, mm-hmm. and they're not wrong. That's a good way to think, yeah. but we aren't going to find one solution for everything. Right. And the beauty of this project is that this is something that students can actually build. Right. Students are not going to build an apartment complex. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's but, a very good answer. <laughs> but the, the same things that you'd put into an apartment unit are present in a tiny house, but more fully realized. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be putting in the walls, looking at the R values of the windows, doing the solar, doing all the lighting and plumbing and electrical and all of that. And that is why I want to do this project and it's why I want other students to do it is so that they can actually use the education that they're getting. Because I was sitting in these classes, looking at spreadsheets, hearing lectures, yeah. and thinking, great, but what am I going to do with any of this unless I use it soon? Right. Well, and I, I think to actually add to your point, when you're talking about these bigger buildings and these condos and these apartments, um, they kind of, what do I want to say, lend themselves to slumlords? <laughs> I mean, mm. the person who has the amount of money to put together some giant building is maybe not going to care about sustainability, yeah. and they might not care about the people that are in it as much as maybe if you made your own and you had some agency. Yeah. So I, I can well, totally see what you're saying. There's a tipping point of uh, how many people are going to care about you in the, in a small area. <laughs> right. And it really gets back to our human evolution of like growing out of villages. Right. There's like 100 to 150 people in a village for a reason. That's how many people you can actively associate and care about and work with. So you can't expect someone you've never met that owns an apartment complex that houses 300 people to really care about you. Yeah. But you can design smaller communities. Right. Right. So I want to bring myself to Imran Sheikh and about your, because you are a scientist. Like, you are doing this kind of, yeah. You're, yeah. Am I a scientist? You're a scientist. <laughs> So, yeah. like, how did that happen? And I want to hear your story, and then we'll take a break and really get into the questions that I was asking before about these houses. So I think the sort of environmental part of my being started from an early age. I was in Boy Scouts, went camping a lot, and that really enjoyed my time in the wilderness. Um, and then as I kind of, you know, looking at Ranger Rick magazine when I was little. and what, Who is Ranger Rick? You know, remember Ranger Rick? No. That, was that before your time? No, I'm just, I'm just not outdoorsy. So it was just like a magazine for kids with animals, mm. with like lots of pictures of animals. So like yeah, I didn't have that. Looking at birds. I had know. like astronomy magazine as a teenager, yeah. so I did not have Ranger Rick. No Ranger Rick. Yeah, oh, man. Well, um, my family went camping like once. So. Yeah, so my parents never my parents never went camping. So that was what Boy Scouts really did for me. It was okay. gave me an opportunity to get outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I. I liked the math and science classes and going through school and as I got to to college I was thinking like maybe do I want to go to med school so I I majored in biomedical engineering Mm. but then there was this kind of environmental science part of me that that was kind of that was my real interest I think so I did a minor in environmental studies oh wow um I went out and worked in the medical device industry for a little while after, really? after college. And then I read a book called Natural Capitalism by Amory Lovins and Hunter Lovins and Paul Hawken. And that was, that was kind of what changed my career path. Oh, wow. Was, um, and then you just applied to grad school after reading that book, basically? No. So then I, um, <laughs> I worked at, so then I worked with Amory Lovins, one of the authors of the book, at a nonprofit in Colorado well, called Rocky Mountain Institute. Um, so that was 
so I had a, they ha- they have an internship program, and I applied to be an intern at Rocky Mountain Institute a number of times and got rejected a number of times, and and then had a a friend of mine or a friend of my sister had worked there before, and he knew some people, and so he talked to um, to the kind of scheduler for for my future boss and mm-hmm. told him about me, got my resume to him and and then I was I was working for this medical device company in San Diego. He I was he from was, San Diego. He was <laughs> coming out to do a day of lectures there. So I met him and spent the day with him, just kinda between lectures chatting chatting with him. He's like, You should come work for me. I was like I should come work for you. You're like, I've <laughs> I've applied many times. <laughs> yeah. So um left that that career, um, and the, what, what, it got, what got me really excited was this idea that we don't necessarily need technical solutions to a lot of environmental problems that we have. Um, policy can help, but it's really finding ways that you can make money and reduce impact simultaneously. So yeah. kind of harnessing businesses to be like, we can actually make money and reduce our impact. And I think energy efficiency is the most obvious way to do that. So that was what that was what this nonprofit's main focus was. Is how do smart. we how do we save money? How do we work with businesses and make that happen? Yeah, I, I think that there is like a, a negotiating, you know, saying it's like you start with telling the person what what's in it for them. Mm-hmm. And that's and people kind of cynically look at that and say like that's awful. People should be doing these things for, you know, morally good, but mm-hmm. that's not how the world works, you know, you you have to kind of attach this like benefit to mm-hmm. the things, and I, I think you're right. It, coming at it as from an energy standpoint, and like Kellen said, like to make money, I mean, like this German town is actually giving money back into the grid, and yeah. that's why it's so. Um, what do I want to say? Um, attractive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we're both very pragmatic environmentalists. Seems that way. Sounds, <laughs> sounds that way. Like we we would like to make money yeah. eventually, or save money. Yeah, and yeah. you can. If you're saving money, if you're saving energy, you're saving money, and if you're saving energy, you're not you're lowering your emissions also. Right. And so. people take notice of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that so can you know that can impl- that can be attractive to liberals and conservatives and everybody. Right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, I want to get more into kind of the tiny house culture and like what's happening in the market right now. And I have questions from my co-host who couldn't be here, who is a home inspector, so he has a lot of home inspection problem um, questions home inspection questions that you might may or may not be able to answer so we'll see Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about tiny homes and um, energy efficiency and environmental science with Dr. Uh, Shake and student at Western Washington University, Kellen Lynch. And we were talking about just kind of this idea of tiny homes. And before I have, I have a whole bunch of questions, one from my um, co-host and one from my student. I want to get into like the culture of tiny homes. Like let's get into the history of when did this start, like in your minds, like, where is this going? And then I'm going to ask you, we're going to do question round. So 
Wait, when did the whole tiny house movement start? It wasn't recently. Yeah. It goes back, way back. I was actually looking at a book last night that had, it's all about tiny homes, but it had all these great photos, depressing photos, of uh, Hoovervilles mm -hmm. during the Great Depression. And they were, they had the, the floor plans and like how to build these kind of shacks. And I thought that was a really interesting take because they were had to be really efficient homes space-wise. Mm -hmm. They also had uh, a Thoreau's home in there. They had, um, you know, carriage homes that are being towed by horses. And I was thinking, like, we're worrying about, like, towing this with a truck, but they used to do it with horses. Yeah. And it's like, this goes way back. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that makes complete sense that, that you say that, but, mm -hmm. like, I, I, I hadn't thought of that before. Exactly. But when did they become, like, trendy right well that i think seems that it seems more recent right yeah but it's a i think people have been doing it the whole time but there's just a bigger reaction now with kind of with getting more than we need um all these mcmansions that came out in the last 20 years mm -hmm. and then reducing from there mostly out of think necessity people overbought you know there was the great recession as well and i yeah. think these things are tied of people's living habits definitely tied to the greater economy, of course. Right. Um, and people wanting to shrink down, realizing they don't need that much. Mm -hmm. And now it's definitely um, taking off. It's taken off for a while. And I think the, the boom in real estate prices in some markets has, has right. driven it as well, right? Some people right. are just like, I can't possibly afford anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in a lot in, right, so I was in Berkeley, in Berkeley and <laughs> prices has, there have just right. gone crazy. So I think, yeah. You know, it's really hard to afford anything as a student. Well, and, and there's also like, you know, the channels TLC and, and all the shows mm -hmm. that are kind of like focused on home improvement. There was like flipping houses in the mm -hmm. end, um, you know, um, in the early aughts. And then now instead of people flipping houses, they're building these tiny homes. And you can see yeah. like in the in pop culture, this kind of movement towards smaller homes and more affordable homes instead of like, you know, buying these crazy amounts of, you know, uh, priced homes and then flipping them and making more money is just, it's just not happening anymore right but still you're i mean you're speaking to this culture of okay there's people wanting to live smaller but oftentimes these are not the same people that can't afford homes to begin exactly with. yeah and that's a really interesting piece of it right um most homes most tiny homes are not designed for you know homeless people or people right. that are really in need of a home no matter what it is right um there's nothing wrong with shrinking down your footprint because I think we need to be doing that. But we also have to be aware of who's able to do that. Right, which is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I think that then do you foresee kind of now that people are interested in kind of, this is going to sound very cynical, but once you get rich people into something, mm -hmm. maybe we can actually make that affordable. You know, we get, get mm -hmm. the people aware of it, maybe get more, more buy-in. Do you think that that will happen? Do you think that the next movement is to actually make these houses um, affordable or talk about housing deep more deeply in this country? I am not trying to get more rich people into it. Yeah. I'm trying to get more creative and crafty people into it. Um, we were talking today uh, as we were looking at, a, at the space we hope to build in about all of the mental resources that are within this region, all the very smart, talented, and driven people, if we can get them involved and then have open source plans that we can then release to the greater world, 
of showing how this is how you build a really efficient house that's also affordable and sustainable. I think that's how you and create beautiful. a sea change. And beautiful because we have we have all the resources we need right here. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's a matter of getting materially wealthy people into it. It's just marketing it well uh, otherwise. Well, what I was suggesting earlier, just to clarify, yeah. once, once rich people get involved in something, the... Um, people start to listen. So for instance, mm -hmm. if you have tiny homes, you have to have it on some land, but there's government mm -hmm. regulations on how many houses can be on one yeah. piece of land or how you can break up land. And the only way to change that is to change uh, laws and to mm -hmm. change building codes and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And rich people can do that, but other mm -hmm. people can't, right? They tend so, not to. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly, right? So you, you kind of need people in power to be on your side is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, um, so I'm wondering, do you think that that might happen? Because you have all, uh, so which I, I guess that brings me to these questions that um, my co-host Jordan had brought up. And there are a lot of building code questions because he's a home inspector. Mm -hmm. um, but before I go to those questions, um, Imran, did you want to add anything to kind of the culture of, of tiny homes that are happening right now? So one one thing, so we had this this tiny house competition right. in 2016, and I never would have, I never could have guessed how many people ended up coming to that. Right, there are people, there's tens of thousands of people that came to see these, you know, dozen tiny homes that were built by California colleges and universities. People were waiting in line for like two hours just to take a tour of one of them. Right, it's so like mm -hmm. the the res the public response to this was really incredible. Yeah, I. Could have I like two years before that I hadn't even thought of like I, tiny homes were not on my radar at all. Mm -hmm. But I think it is there is this this movement that is happening, mm -hmm. and it's bigger than I I definitely had expected. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go right into it. We're gonna ask these questions that Jordan had typed up, and the first one is about building codes. So building codes. This I'm just reading this quote, Jordan <laughs> Baker. Um, improv actor and home inspector. Um, building codes have already begun to adapt to small homes, such as the removal of a home having to have one room that equals 170 square feet, uh, ceiling heights being lowered to 6'4 beams and 6'8 ceilings. And for him, he's 6'6, so it's he hates the change. Winky face is what he put here. Um, so do you see other codes... Um, I know that you're doing this at a university and maybe you're not aware of those things, but have you seen other changes in codes, which we were just talking about, these kind of governmental things that are changing with this new wave? Mm -hmm. Personally, I haven't uh, gotten into the specific like interior building codes, but more of the broader uh, zoning codes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I've been following the local discussion around that, it has been inter interesting to see um, how tiny homes factor into that. and they will be a great tool for infill, especially homes as we're designing um, in infilling in lots that already maybe have a house, a main house, but uh, have a lot of extra space. Mm -hmm. The traditional lot in Bellingham is 5,000 square feet. That was the minimum parcel of land you could get. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. <laughs> it's enormous. And so often these homes have a lot of extra space that maybe is just grass. So like I see that code potentially changing. It's mm -hmm. still yet to be decided. This would fall as a detached accessory dwelling unit in the way that we're building it, which is currently not allowed in most neighborhoods. 
Yeah, isn't there a big movement in Bellingham about the whole detached, like it's ruining, like, isn't there like a group of Bellinghamites or Bellinghamsters that say like, <laughs> that like, um, you know, these detached homes are like killing our neighborhoods. They're change the character yeah. as if the character wasn't changed when they moved in. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. No, they've always been here. They've always been here. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. For thousands of years. Yep, <laughs> was the, uh, what, the Bellingham Neighborhood Association. They've always yes. been here. Yeah, they've always been here. Yeah. Sarcasm is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't, um, um, we're not saying tiny homes are for everyone. They're, no, and they're not, clearly not. They're not for everyone, but I, this is what I was suggesting earlier, is that there, there are these codes um, of what you can put on a lot and what you can't, mm-hmm. and there's, a, there's, a, there's more resistance than I would have thought. Yeah, people are you know, hesitant to change things, but there's a clear need, and we need to accept that and do that in a reasonable way. And I think that's the beauty of this project. It's not a reaction. It's a development on what people are asking for, and we're doing it through a university that is going to stay here and should be developing solutions for its students and the general populace. Right. I, I, I like that line because, you're. I mean, you're basically saying that, I mean, the university can give back to the community and not just be like a little silo on a hill. You know, we can actually be part of that community. This is a great way to do it. Yeah. So, um, so you would use the word infill. I, again, I'm not a home inspector and Jordan is, but he was saying that could these, uh, could your Zenith home. And so Zenith, let's just, that, that has some capital letters and some not capital letters. So what what does that stand for? And you said it, it, it could play a role in infill. So that's what you were saying, that it's just extra room in these lots. But what yeah. does Zenith stand for? It stands for zero net energy tiny home. So zero net, net, energy, net energy tiny energy. house. And the reason why that's kind of why that matters as well is um, in designing homes, um, homes used to be designed more uh, oriented towards the sun. Um, and that is design and a passive passive solar design. So you're orienting things south because that's where the sun is coming from and shining on you. Um, So you're having a lot of window exposure there. If you have solar, it's pointing south um, generally. Uh, So the zenith is what the angle of the sun. Oh, it's clever. I get it. It's clever. And it's an acronym. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We scientists love acronyms. It's like our favorite things in the world. Um, Okay. So do you see, uh, this is another question from Jordan, do you see these being spec-built homes in the future? What does that mean? Like it's just, it's, there's this one design and we just kind of okay. stamp them out. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like I, I guess clone, that's what we Clone them. And that's what you were saying, right? You mm-hmm. want this to be like an open source design where somebody can take it and they can figure out what the materials are and just yep. do it. But they can't copyright it themselves. This is just open to right. anyone. Um, and that's a big uh, piece for me is that this is replicable replicable, you know, yeah. as as science needs to be. You need to be able to repeat this to make it better. It's We're not going to design the perfect tiny house with this iteration at all, right. and I'm not trying to. I want it to get better over time. And there might not be one perfect tiny house for everybody, right? So we're going exactly. to try it once, learn from it, right? do it again. Yeah. Yep. Well, I like your idea of kind of making small communities because there are in Bellingham and I'm sure other parts of this of this country that have these kind of communal um, like lots mm-hmm. where um, there's kind of like a shared clubhouse and then you have smaller homes yeah. around it. Is that, and this is one of the, I'm actually going to the other page of questions that I have from my um, wonderful student, Andrew, and she typed these up and like is a goal kind of, she said goals. What are the goals? And I, is that also to kind of help with that community building? Is, is it kind of filling in that kind of same model but like with with these tiny homes, I guess? 
I would like to be designing community homes. Um, the reality for this project is that it's the first one we've done. Right. So it's going to have as many features of a full house as would traditionally be in a house. Uh, so it's going to have a kitchen and all of that. But in what you're like, what you're describing uh, with these shared lots, mm-hmm. you wouldn't. Everyone doesn't need their own kitchen. Actually, it's not required, right. and sometimes they don't, and they have the central community house because oftentimes. You know, um, you don't want to hang out in your house, in your tiny house with five people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it provides uh, your own room, your own space, and then you can go and interact with the rest of the community. But for this house, um, though, for our first iteration, we won't have that. I would like to explore that down the line. Okay. So that is something you've been thinking about. Definitely. Okay. I don't, I don't want to live all by myself somewhere. Yeah. I currently live with five people and I love that. Um, so we're all different. (laughs) And for for some of like the building systems, we also don't necessarily need to have, you don't necessarily need to have your own for each of those, right? Mm -hmm. Because that costs money that if you don't necessarily have to have your own solar inverter or hot water heater, right? That those are, those are some resources that we might be able to share. Well, some people just don't like to cook too. I mean, come on, on. they're not going to want that. Um, okay. Here's another question. I'm going to take another one from uh, my student, Andra. So where will this tiny house be built on? Like, we know it's a Western project. I know you said you were talking about it, but what are some of the, like, um, candidates for where this tiny house is going to be built? So one, what we're, what we hope is going to happen right now is, is to build it at the Technology Development Center, which is down by the port. And it's actually a space that both Western and Bellingham Technical College share. Okay. And so we also want to have some members of, of the team of the team, both Western students and BTC students together That's awesome. do this project. More community building, right? More community exactly. building. Okay. And we have this perfect space with a wood shop and a high bay garage door and we're hoping that that's going to be a, a suitable spot to, to build it. Once it's done where it's going to go, that's a question we don't know the answer to. Okay. But we need it to be accessible to students. Uh, if it goes on campus, that's ideal. If it goes near campus, you know, as long as people can get to it mm-hmm. and use it. Maybe not live in it directly, but use the space right. and study it. It's just like a tiny dorm just for two people. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a break with that. Um, and when we come back, I'll ask a couple more questions. And then I want to kind of get into... Um, again, back into this idea of pop culture and, and how is environmental science kind of portrayed in, in, in pop culture. So let's, let's keep on asking these questions, and I, I want to ask you, Kellen, because you're kind of talking about this idea of just kind of waste and this overuse, and um, my co-host Jordan looked up this number, and he said, most structures are over-engineered by 15%. Um, do the tiny homes use the same engineering gu- guidelines? So, like, how these are engineered, um, are you taking that into account? To, to Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our team right now, our design team, uh, our industrial design students, and they are approaching this with that mindset, but also with the, you know, 
the reality that we need to be producing things that aren't just wasted in 20 years or even 50 years. Um, You know, I'm living in a house that's 110 years old. I would love if our first tiny house lasted that long. Right. So we're taking that into consideration in every step, looking at the walls, looking at the framing, looking at the windows and everything like that. Um, It's really important to me. I don't want this project to to put out the traditional amount of waste that a house or home construction does. Um, so that's a huge thing we're looking at. And to address that, um, we're looking at you know, lead building standards, but also more uh, local uh, methodologies. The um, Living Futures Institute, which is located in Seattle, uh, are responsible for the Bullet Center, which is this internationally touted um, sustainable um, apartment and commercial use complex on Capitol Hill in Seattle. It has a whole um, solar array across the entire roof of this building. Mm -hmm. There's composting toilets in this building. Like they've really gone the extra mile. Um, So I'm studying their methodologies and really trying to see like, what does it take to actually be net zero? Not just in the electricity we use, but in the building of the house. Right. And that actually brings uh, me to a question my student Andrea um, put together. So Imran, she asked a question, who will be building the structure? Will the building materials be sustainably sourced? So like, not just, like you said, that it's producing a lot of energy and it's being net zero because of energy, but what about what goes into the building? Do you know anything about the materials? So we haven't necessarily made all of those decisions yet, but we definitely want to use as many you know, reclaimed materials as possible. Okay. I think that'll be a big part of the the design and actually acquiring those materials is going to be part of the story. I think related to your other, your last question about over-engineering, yeah. I think um, this was actually a, a challenge that we had in the, the tiny house that we built at Berkeley was like, what are we actually designing for? And can we actually, can we, is it, is it okay for this building to maybe not be perfectly comfortable for every hour of the year, right? Mm. Is there like a scenario that we nece- don't necessarily need to have all of the systems designed to keep that the space inside, you know, 68 degrees? Mm, okay. Right. So, and that's that's a, I think that kind of is part of this tiny house movement as well. Like maybe we can be a little bit more flexible about yeah. what comfort means. Maybe you, know? you could buy a blanket. We could buy a blanket. <laughs> you could like. <laughs> Right, so, th- so I think we, we came when we were doing the designs. So that, that building was a little bit different than this one because that was actually off the grid, mm-hmm. right? So it had battery energy storage and hot water energy storage and solar. Wow. So we were thinking like, what That's is... That's how you w- won second place. <laughs> so is there that like December day that's cloudy that happens sometime that is also cold and there's was a stretch of cloudy days? Yeah. What are we... Is it okay that like three days a year it might get a little cold inside? Yeah. So I think that's another, which most buildings now, you're like, it has to be perfectly comfortable when Mm -hmm. it's, you know, 110 degrees outside or minus 40. Unless you're a college student and live in a place where, you know, know, that doesn't, Mm -hmm. anyway, but you're right. I I think that, but that's a culture change. And I think Kellen was talking about that too, this idea Mm -hmm. of what is acceptable and what isn't Mm -hmm. and what you can kind of convince people to um, kind of, I don't know, have buy-in without, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it would definitely be a hard sell for some people to be like, you know what, there's going to be some days where your house is cold. Yeah. But 
you can do that because your house is also you're saving two thousand dollars right right you know and you're it totally changes the way you live Mm -hmm. like what you have around you you like everything you have around you is chosen Mm -hmm. um very specifically you know, when you have bigger houses, you just fill it with more stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to happen in a 200-square-foot house. Right. You're going to be really careful about that, and that just trickles down into the rest of your life. Yeah. Kellen, you were talking about how you didn't really think of yourself as a scientist until, you you know, you started doing this work and applied to Western. I don't know if you even still think about yourself. I haven't. <laughs> You're like, I yeah. do not think of myself <laughs> as a scientist. Um and then uh, Imran, you are, I, I think you're a scientist, you, but you also made the comment, you don't yeah, think of yourself I, as a scientist. I don't necessarily think of myself as a scientist. So what do you think a scientist is then? That's my question. It's a great question. It's yeah, like that's a great question. Silence. <laughs> 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 well, because I, I think our, as society's idea of what a scientist is and what, yeah. whatever is making you resist mm-hmm. comes from pop culture, comes from our society, what you hear as a scientist. So what is that? Sure. Yeah, it's Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. It's white he's, lab coats. It's white a lab mathematician, coats. guys. Oh, really? Chaos theory. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're right. See, do you see how we're, we're led down these roads yes. that are like... I mean, I am a, I am a nerd. Right. Yeah. We can, I can definitely well, that's <laughs> agree good. with that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah but these, these like stereotypes exist, and I feel like in society... Jeff Goldblum, he was also in The Fly. Yes, he was. And mm-hmm. that he was a scientist there. That was a messed up um, uh, movie. Um, but we have this like idea of what scientists are and what, what they look like, what they yeah. act like, mm-hmm. what they talk like. But you're all doing something that is talking about energy, which is building, which is problem solving. Mm-hmm. It, it is science. <laughs> you know, so what is making you hesitate? This is a well, therapy I think, I think it's though. more. Oh. I think it's more engineering for me. Okay. Right? It's more... Applied science. Yeah. I think engineering is still science. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I do a lot of energy analysis, right? So I look at energy data and I try to figure out what's happening with it. Mm -hmm. That's, And then take that and figure, try to advise policy. Mm -hmm. Like, what should smart policy be given how we know how buildings are using energy? Mm -hmm. Right? So that's kind of... That's what, that's what I get excited about, but it's yeah. fundamentally like, how do we do reduce emissions? Yeah. And how do we make that not cost too much? Yeah. So it's this weird blend of like economics and building science and, and, data. and data and climate change. That's right. kind of, it's in that nexus where I am. Right. Yeah, sounds like science to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been looking at the engineering side of it, but every day when I work on this project, I'm doing it from a psychological angle, mm-hmm. which feels like the access point of science for me, of figuring out how do people make the decisions they do? How do I get people to react to this project in the way I'd like them to? Get my team members to continually do the work. Um, <laughs> get, you <laughs> Encourage know, teamwork. Yeah, yeah, all of these things, all of the emails I send every day and all of that, the reach out, the, the thank yous, like that is all science to me because that is me building on these experiments that I've started and then getting better at it and getting it more refined, but it's still never perfect. Um, But I really enjoy that. I like, that's why I'm doing the managing aspect of it. I I put the design team together and then they do that work Mm -hmm. and I get to kind of sit back and watch it play out. But it hasn't 
made me feel like a scientist and I haven't considered it until tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess we have a hypothesis that we're going to test. Right? Yeah. 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 That is very true. <laughs> well, and, and I and I, I want to give you credit, Kellen, that you keep on talking about kind of giving agency to the people that are going to be building these small homes. And, yeah. and Imran, you're talking about engineering and you're saying that this is really engineering. I mean, kind of what you're doing, if you're using this as outreach, you're kind of giving, um, you're, you're giving people uh, kind of that connection to science, that connection to engineering, and right. you're, you're taking away kind of some of that intimidation, which is the goal of this show, Perfect. you know? <laughs> But I mean, I, I see that. I yeah. don't know if you see that now. I, I see that. Um, yeah, for me, it was the it's the words I've been using are actionable learning environments. Um, being able to actually do something with that knowledge you're given is so important. And I know I'm not the only one sitting in these classes and just wondering what am I doing. I'm like scribbling in the margins of a notepad, you know, just doodling. And why? Yeah. Like this is not how I learn. And I know that, and I'm pretty sure when I look around and no one else is taking notes, <laughs> like that, there's a reason for that. I don't and know. My classes are crazy engaging, so I bet. <laughs> no, no, that's right. no, no. But I agree. You, having this kind of hands-out stuff is it's it's empowering people to kind of find some sort of connection to that science and finding that they, like you said, have agency to help our our Earth and help the yeah. environment and and it's a different level of understanding that you need to have when you're actually building something rather than thinking about building something. Right. right? Yeah. So like the, it cements the, better the, in your head. It cements better. And there's just so many, what did it for me is there's just so many decisions that you need to make when you're designing something like this that mm -hmm. you will not think of if you are taking a class about, like the class Kellen took about how do you design a net zero energy home? Like what do you learn in there versus what you learn actually building one? Mm -hmm. There's you know, in order of magnitude more details that you have to think about when you're actually doing it in real life. That's awesome. I'm going to come see your, this house. and um, Yeah, I'm going to see it get built. I'm going to send my students over there. We're going to do another show after it's built, and you're going to tell me all the things you, all you did things wrong. You <laughs> <laughs> all the things you did wrong. Learned. Imposter syndrome. Learned. No more. Yes. Um, all right. I want to thank you both for being on the show. This has been super insightful for me. I learn something every single time I do these, but especially about this. This has been really great. So thank you for being here. Thanks, Thanks for so having us. Thanks for joining us. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, sparksciencenow.com. Spark Science is produced in collaboration with KMRE Spark Radio and Western Washington University. If there's a science idea you're curious about, send us a message on Twitter or Facebook at Spark Science Now. Today's episode was recorded at the KMRE Studios, operated by the Spark Museum of Electrical Invention in Bellingham, Washington. Our producer is Regina Barbara DeGraff. The engineer for today's show is Natalie Moore. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Blackalicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I rap, you think iodine, nitrate, activate. Right, uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.